This episode of Wheat Pete's Word is brought to you by DeKalb Seed from Bayer, the name you trust. For the 2023 season, there's an incredible 13 new corn hybrids, 9 new silage-ready hybrids, and 7 new soybean varieties. Good day, and welcome to Wheat Word here on Real Agriculture for Wednesday, November the 2nd on this episode of The Word. Man, we have cool stuff to talk about, including coffee shop talk. I want to talk about corn maturity. What a great discussion going on about that and finish up with weed control. And that's all I'm going to try to get to because I always run out of time. Let's go. First off, I gotta say... I love doing this podcast. I love doing Wheat Pete's Word. Why is that? It is because of all the incredible feedback that I get by putting questions and thoughts and challenges out there and lots of that this week. So for everyone who sends me feedback, thank you so much. You're amazing. For everyone that lurks in the background and listens in, Thank you a lot for listening in, but come on, give me more feedback. P. Johnson at realagriculture.com is my email address. Twitter handle is at Wheat Peach. You know that. You can tweet me. You can email me. You can text me. All my contact information is on my Twitter homepage, but wow, it is just so cool. So let's move on to some of that stuff. To begin with, though, I want to remind you that as of yesterday, November the 1st, The Ontario Agricultural Conference registration is open. Go to the website, ontarioagconference.ca. Get yourself registered. Man, we have some just phenomenal sessions this year. 50 different sessions. We have in-person events at Ridgetown, at Waterloo, at Kemptville. It's a hybrid conference. It's, it's a massive undertaking, but there is something there for everybody. And if you want in-person, registration is limited. So get your registration in. Next, I got to go down this safety road again because I beat you over the head with speed, right? Speed matters. Slow down. My good buddy Dean happens to be an engineer, and he says, Hey, Peter, you, you should have mentioned this, by the way. Kinetic energy, which is exactly what you have when you're rolling down the road, kinetic energy is equal to one-half times the mass of whatever you're, you're driving times velocity squared. So velocity in terms of the kinetic energy, velocity is by far the most important factor. Yes, it matters how much mass you have, but if you double your speed, you multiply your energy by four times. Whereas if you double your mass, you double your energy by double. So this velocity thing is absolutely incredible. Thanks, Dean, for that. I hadn't even thought about that, but that is, that is a pretty cool thing and why you need to go slow so you can stop. It's not about the go. It's about the stop. On that safety note, another caller saying that he was driving home, or pardon me, driving with some loaded wagons, met a combine going down the road at night with the header on. Come on, people. We just cannot be doing that. The header goes on the header wagon. I know it's a pain in the butt, but somebody's going to get killed. 
safety first, safety first, safety first. The other thing that he mentioned, and I know this is, it's hard because the things we pull are wide, but dueled tractors pulling wagons, do you need the duels on? Do you need that traction to get out of the field? Surely not on a fall like this. Dueled tractors trying to keep the wagons on the pavement because that's where they ride the best. Now that duel is over the yellow line. So think about these things. I, it's incredibly important. Okay, I want to move on and just mention some other cool stuff that I've seen on Twitter. Brian in South Dakota, they had such a drought And then they had such high winds before harvest that they had cob drop through the roof. And they went out and they combined the corn like natural, but all these cobs laying on the ground, they figured out there was 40 to 50 bushels per acre of corn cobs laying on the ground. So what they do? They took the hay rake out. They raked her into windrows. They got about 90% of the cobs, then used the pickup head to pick that up and got that other 40, 50 bushels. That's quite a, quite a harvest process, but wowzers, think about that. Meanwhile, Daniel uh, tagging me into a tweet saying, hey, Daniel, by the way, is northwest Saskatchewan, and he's saying, okay, Wheat Pete, we are going to put your ultra-early seeding to the test. So Daniel happens to be in this incredibly dry area of Saskatchewan. There's no soil moisture whatsoever. It was plus three. And on October the 29th or 30th, I forget which, he was seeding hard red spring, not winter, spring wheat in northwest Saskatchewan into dry soil. The forecast was for to drop in temperature and go below zero. And once it freezes in that part of the world, it rarely thaws out till spring. And what, how many people were interested in that and cool stuff, Daniel. I just love it. And he is going to keep the Twitter world informed with how that works out. It won't work every year because if there was moisture in that soil, it would not work. <laughs> the stuff would germinate and then the cold temperatures would kill it. But really interesting stuff from that standpoint. While I'm on wheat, oh my gosh, they announce that Russia, the Russia allowing Ukrainian grain to get out of Ukraine into the rest of the world. The deal is back on. That happened this morning. And guess what? Wheat goes limit down. She's minus 60 across the board just because they rejoined the deal. No more wheat in the world. Just that suddenly we have this access to some wheat. But if you look at the wheat crop that is out there, the U.S. wheat winter wheat crop is off to its worst start ever. In, rec- in recorded history, ever, it is 35%, a full one-third of the winter wheat crop in the U.S. is rated poor or very poor. The previous record was 26% or a quarter of the crop. A bad year is normally you know, 20% poor, very poor, and lots of years were at 5 or 10% poor and very poor. So you go, wow, wheat's going down limit, and we got the worst crop ever in the U.S., and the U.S. produces and exports a lot of wheat. How does that jive in my brain? By the way, the worst hit area is the hard red wheat area, the hard winter wheat area, not the soft winter wheat area. Ontario is part of the soft wheat area, and for the most part, 
the soft winter wheat crop is okay. So you got to keep that in the back of your mind as well. All right, before I move on into the into some other stuff, I just want to mention some yield updates because yowzers, last week I said on average we're 20 bushels below where we'd like to be. Immediately, as soon as he listened, my good buddy Robert Maloney sends me a text and says, hey, Peter, like, man, it has been almost perfect weather here in North Wellington, kind of that, that listable area. Uh, we are 20 bushels above where we would normally expect to be. In fact, we had a farm of 82-day corn that ran 224 bushels per acre. And you're just going, wowsters. So there are some good areas. In fact, my good buddy Al, agronomist in Elgin County, saying, hey, Peter, Elgin is paradise, man. We've got awesome yields. We have corn breaking 250 bushels per acre, even on the heavy clay soils. And there are some hard clays in Elgin County, 240 bushel corn. So that's awesome. And Paul Herman's pioneer, another another great contact in in central and eastern Ontario saying, yeah, the weather's been just, how could it be better, Peter? Uh, I have a grower with 400 acres of soybeans. His average yield on 400 acres of soybeans was 72 bushels per acre. And now what we're doing is trying to figure out how do we break 80, 90, 100 bushels per acre because that's a whole new yield level. And last, just before I leave this part, Kevin from Essex sending me a picture of his moisture meter He's taking corn out of the field, and he says the yield is good. It's not record or whatever, but it's very solid. And he's harvesting corn at 13.5% moisture. It is dry corn coming out of the field. Wowzers. That is simply amazing. Okay, I want to move on, and I just want to hit quickly that, that Twitter... Twitter is the new coffee shop, the new agricultural coffee shop, and you can get amazing ideas off Twitter. So Joe tweeting out a new technology, and he says, for those wondering, the the results from the trials that we did, plus seven bushels per acre. And I'm looking at that going, wow, that's really interesting. But that technology, that's a little bit left field it's outside the box there's no question about that so as i often do when i get something like that i think ah my good friend nature nut nick would love to think about that and i sent that particular tweet to nick and nick immediately responded with yes peter come back to me with that technology after you have done replicated plots on multiple sites over multiple years and if it's seven bushels per acre then I will start to believe it. And ding, 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 ding. Yeah, we have indoctrinated Nick really well. These one-offs, and I'm not sure what, what Joe did. I can't, I can't answer that. But wow, lots of amazing ideas. But take them with a grain of salt. Be like Nick. Let's get back and see what the real answer is. And on that note, plot data. So I, I'm getting lots of plot data. Well, actually, I'm getting not enough plot data. There is so much more out there that I'm not getting. But... Certainly some growers are sharing their plot data, so thanks for that. Trevor, a while back, and Trevor is with Elgin Soil and Crop, and I know that Trevor does good trials, and he has done this for a number of years, and it works for Trevor. In Trevor's trials again this year, his soybeans after triticale, he's a dairy farmer, he harvests the triticale as a forage, he plants soybeans there, 
versus the corn stalks. He plants soybeans the same day, everything's the same, into corn stalks where he did not harvest the corn stalks and he didn't have the triticale. He gained six bushels per acre. And Trevor's done this for a number of years. That's just the result he tends to get. And it's not always six, but it's two, three, four. Greg sending me results saying, hey, Peter, you know, you talked about this, this growing soybeans after rye, because I talked about that previous to Trevor sending me that data. Greg says, I grew soybeans after cereal rye. I lost 15 bushels per acre versus where I planted the same variety same day on corn stalks. This after rye really hurt me. And I'm going, wow, well, maybe it's the rye versus the triticale, although there's got to be something else in there, I think. And then Dwayne says, well, Peter, I grew soybeans after triticale minus 10 bushels per acre versus corn stalks side by side. And I'm going like, okay, snap it. This is why we need those multi-year replicated trials. How can Trevor consistently gain yield? Greg and Dwayne are losing yield. Ah, we got to sort that out, but figure it out on your own farm because there are differences in soil type and differences in rotation and fertility and rainfall. Well, one thing I will say, man, is if you try to grow soybeans following a silage-type crop, triticale, rye, whatever, and you get a drought, she can go south pretty, pretty quickly because there's only so much moisture to go around. Yawn also tweeted, sending me some information in terms of of triticale and and rye, he grew corn. And his corn after his triticale was way better than his corn after rye. And that one, I think you can take to the bank. And why is that? Because of allelopathy. And corn is more affected by that allelopathy than soybeans are. So soybeans, we can get away with it. Man, you grow corn after rye, Triticale only has 40% of the allelopathic chemicals that rye does. You grow corn after rye, it is a challenge. There's just no doubt about that. Meanwhile, rye as a cover crop has lots of cool benefits, but corn after triticale, triticale being better than corn after rye, I buy that 1,000%. Okay, I want to talk about this whole maturity versus yield debate on corn because it is time to start thinking about buying your corn hybrids and what maturity do you grow? And this year was really interesting because, man, about the end of September or mid-September, we were all talking about how that corn had stalled. And long-season hybrids had stalled and hadn't black-layered, and we were really worried about, you know, where we were going to end up. As we get to the 1st of November, for the most part, those hybrids all finally did black-layer or at least brown-layer. They're coming out of the field dry. Everything is good, good, good. But on the 20th of September, it did not feel good, good, good. So what about maturity versus yield and that whole debate? Dr. Dave Hooker, Ridgetown Campus, University of Guelph. You know, Dr. Dave always has the data. He pulled a lot of data together. So from the Ontario Corn Committee trials, 42 site years of data. That's, that's a massive amount of data. You gain six bushels per acre for every 100 heat units that you push that season longer, that maturity longer. If you don't like heat units, that's three days. So you gain 6.1 to be exact, six bushels per acre to go three days longer in maturity. And that corn will only be on average 
1.2% wetter. When you do the economics on that, man, you just, it drives you to grow as long a season as you dare. So certainly you want to at least go fully adapted varieties or hybrids rather, because that's where the yield is. And as soon as Dave tweeted that out, oh my gosh, what an awesome discussion it was. And what's really interesting is the people that pushed back the most were the people in the shortest season area. And the other part that's so interesting out of that data is the area that gains the most by far from growing longer season corn hybrids is the short season area because... Short season hybrids tend to suffer yield loss more quickly as you lose maturity than full season hybrids. So they're the people that could gain the most and they were the people that pushed back the most and just a whole bunch of awesome reasons why they don't push maturities in that particular area. One of them, or probably the most important, one of them was it is really good for your mental health to get harvest over under dry conditions and not have to fight mud and not have to fight low test weight because in that part of the world, test weight really reigns king. Whereas when you move into the long series and areas, we mostly get acceptable test weight anyway. The other one was toxin levels, the amount of dawn in the grain. We know that the longer that corn sits out there, the higher the risk there is of having high dawn in the grain, high toxins, even though you would think cool temperatures would stop it, and eventually they do, but there's always those warm days. So a whole bunch of reasons why growers in short season areas give up yield and grow a little bit shorter than adapted maturities or don't put all their eggs in extra long hybrids because when they get stung, they get stung hard. If, on the other hand, you're in Essex County where you've got all sorts of season, you're not in the snow belt, you're not going to get buried in snow, well, you still have the toxin risk, the dawn risk, but much more impetus down there to push those hybrids out as long as you can. Of course, that's also the area where you have the least benefit from going longer because you're already into hybrids that have lots of length to that season. So a really interesting thought process. My good buddy Rob, I, I would be remiss not to mention that I had a bit of this discussion with Rob. Rob is quite emphatic and in fact would like to beat me over the head that he refuses to go full season. They go shorter than full season and so far... He's at a 50% win rate with doing that with going uh, short season. So make up, the, uh, there's the thought process. You really want yield, you go long, but there are definitely some, some downsides to going long season. Hey, really quickly, a great discussion about winter, uh, fall weed control and wheat. We are seeing some manganese deficiency on sand soils. Mary, if you're not on sand, it's not likely manganese deficiency, especially if you've never seen it before. So verify that it is manganese. If you see manganese deficiency in the fall and wheat, control it. We have, or correct it rather. We have such a great window of opportunity here with the weather that we have. Get out there and it will be better wheat if you solve that manganese deficiency this fall. 
there are also some weeds like chickweed showing up, even in soybean fields or edible bean fields that got glyphosate as the burn down. We've had good enough weather that on sand soils we are seeing seedling chickweed, then fall weed control or dandelions, any of those winter annuals, spray that wheat this fall. You have that opportunity to get that done. But as Jim's question pointed out, you can't do anything spraying in the fall for spring annual weeds like ragweed. If that's your worry, don't spray in the fall. It's only for the winter annual weeds. Look at that. I am so far over time, but this is so much fun. That's it. That's all on behalf of the team here at Real Agriculture. This is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, November the 2nd. Keep them coming. I'll keep talking next week. See you then. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Wheat Pete's Word podcast. Check out the 2023 lineup of new DeKalb corn hybrids and soybean varieties. Find the one that's best for the unique growing conditions on your farm. DeKalb, a seed for every field, a seed for every season.